if you have spent any amount of time on the internet over the past few years, you will know that self-care has become a buzzword. And like many buzzwords or many trends that social media makes popular, there are a ton of misconceptions out there when it comes to self-care. You see all these elaborate, well-produced videos of a morning routine that is 100,000 steps which is unrealistic for women like you and me. And so in this episode of Happy Without Medicine, I'm going to be demystifying self-care a little bit so that it's more accessible to busy women like us. And so if this is something that you will find interesting, stay tuned and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Happy Without Medicine. And I'm your host, Dr. Yuandi, a medical doctor, therapist, and a fierce advocate for your happiness. My mission here is simple, to help professional women just like you create a life you're excited to wake up to. It's time to make the happiness you feel on the inside match the success others see on the outside. Let's get started. Self-care. What is self-care? If you look online, you will find a ton of different definitions, but I'm all for simplicity. And the definition that I like of self-care is taking the time to do the things that help you live well, things that will improve your health, whether that's your physical health, your mental health, etc. So self-care is really intentionally just taking the time to do the things that will help you live well. And that definition is coined from the NIH. Like I said in the introduction, self-care has become overcomplicated. And so in this episode, my goal is to really break down the process of identifying which areas of your life need the most self-care. And if you don't have a self-care routine or self-care practice, this will also help you hone in on what you might want to start doing because I am not a believer in overhauling everything because I don't think that that's sustainable. I'm all about leveraged change, which is thinking about the lowest hanging fruit or the changes that you can make that will actually yield in the biggest return on your investment. And so when it comes to self-care, again, taking the time to do the things that will help you live well, I like to categorize self-care into seven different domains. And you'll see all sorts of different options. In my practice, actually, the tool that I use only has five domains, but I'm finding that it's not complete. So I'm in the process of developing my own self-care assessment tool that includes two more domains, which I'm going to mention today. So the first domain is your spiritual self-care. And so what do you do to enhance your spirit? And what that might look like is spending time in meditation and prayer. It might look like spending time connecting with people who are like-minded and people who will encourage your spirit. And I say this because that many of us, I know that we all have different worldviews, but I think majority of us can agree that As humans, we are composed of a body, the physical body that we can see and touch, and our essence, which is that intangible part of us, which I will call our spirit, that we cannot see 
and we cannot touch. And so you can have people who are completely physically healthy. They do all the blood tests and all the physical assessments, yet they are not well in their spirit. And it now begs the question, so, okay, yes, I know what it's like to exercise, to eat well, to sleep, to take care of my body, which we will talk about, but what do I need to do to enhance my spiritual self-care? What that might look like, like I said before, is prayer, meditation, reading scripture, if you're a person of faith, understanding what your values are. What are the things that bring meaning to your life? What are the things that make life meaningful for you? What are your values? What are the things that you place in high regard? And identifying them so that you can live in accordance to them. I've mentioned this before in previous episodes. I am convinced that many times when we are unhappy, it's because our spirit doesn't know what our values are. And so we are acting physically out of sync and out of line with our values. So knowing what you stand for, knowing what your values are, knowing what your belief systems are, what's your worldview, how do you process information that comes at you, having that compass that is guided not by what you look like, what you can see, what you can touch, but that essence of you that goes beyond what we can see and what we can touch. And so spiritual self-care, if that's what you're lacking, it might be time to really start paying attention to what you can do to enhance that. The second type of self-care, which I had briefly mentioned, is physical self-care. And this is probably one that we've heard about the most, which is taking care of your physical body, that part of the body that is breathing, is seeing, is hearing, is talking, is moving, is walking, is sitting, is standing, is laying down. We've seen all the different types of diets, all the different types of exercise regimens, all in the effort to take care of our physical bodies. So are you eating nutritious foods? Are you engaging in movement every day? Are you sleeping well? Are you hydrating your body? Are you going in to your doctor to get your preventative checkups? All of those things are part of physical self-care. So again, taking the time intentionally to do these things so that you can live well. So what are you doing to take care of your physical body? One of the things that I firmly believe is also in getting your hair done, your nails done, your eyebrows done, wearing clothes that make you feel good because I, in personal experience, and also in speaking to the women I work with, sometimes we have to attract that joy and excitement from the outside in. There's some things to be said about when you look in the mirror and you have picked the right clothes, you have the hairstyle, you have your nails. There's just something that happens to us when we feel good about ourselves. And so I also include that in physical self-care. Talking about our emotional self-care, this is where we take care of that part of our body that is in charge of our emotions, that processes our feelings, that processes our thoughts and puts interpretation to our thoughts. And so what this might look like, depending on who you are and depending on your own personal experience is journaling, for example. It might be booking an appointment with a therapist that's long overdue. It might be taking time out to laugh. A couple of episodes ago, I spoke about laughter and play and how that could be such good medicine for us. 
It could be having tough conversations with people who we know we need to have those tough conversations with, setting boundaries, communicating in a way that, yes, might be challenging, but on the other side of that brings peace. And so psychological, emotional self-care is a way of inviting peace into your life, inviting joy into your life by doing things that de-stress us and doing things that help to eliminate negative thoughts and negative emotions in our lives. And so that is emotional, otherwise known as psychological self-care. The next type of self-care that's often quite fun to do, well, for for many of us, not all of us, because if you're an introvert like me, (laughs) being social might not necessarily be something that you want to do willingly. But the truth is that connecting one-to-one or as part of a group, being in the company of other people is so important. And this is social self-care. Spending time with people who actually fill you up. Having conversations with people who share the same ideas and values or people who can challenge you in a fun, engaging way. I talk about games nights and just going somewhere and having fun with people, friendly sport, friendly competition, going to visit a friend that you haven't seen in a long time, calling up someone who you have shared positive experience with and just reliving your university days or your childhood days. Those are just some examples of social self-care. So intentionally taking out the time to do that is very, very important and can add to your overall well-being. Something that we don't often talk about when it comes to self-care is actually our professional self-care, our professional self-care. So things that have to do with work, things that have to do with our personal development, things that have to do with our growth, because many times, especially for women who are achievers, if you're in an environment at work where you're not intellectually stimulated, that can actually have negative effects on your mental health, your emotional health, and even your physical health. And on the other side, I speak to many women who are very hardworking, very diligent, to the point where they don't take breaks from their work. They're working the minute they get into the office, they work through their breaks, they work right to the end of the day, and they bring work home with them. So They're checking their emails. They are at the dinner table and answering phone calls. And there's no boundary between them and their work. They're taking on new responsibilities. And they're the person in the office where they know, oh, Jane will do it. Or or Ada will do it. Or whoever it might be, you have that reputation of, oh, she will do it. She will do it. She will do it. And so professional self-care, in addition to finding things that are intellectually stimulating for you, where you are focused on working in an environment that is conducive to your growth, conducive to your development, it's also setting boundaries with work at the same time where you're very firm in saying that work is work, home is home, and taking intentional decisions to do that. And so those are just some examples of professional self-care. The next type of self-care that I want to discuss that, like I mentioned, I there are five, generally five, in the self-care assessment tool that I use, that I have as part of my therapist toolbox, 
there are five forms of self-care. So we talked about them. We talked about physical. We talked about emotional. We talked about social. We talked about spiritual. And we also spoke about professional. But I would also like to add financial self-care. And this is because I see in my practice where finances, money, and money-related issues can be a huge source of stress for the women that I see and the women that I take care of. And so what does financial self-care look like? Financial self-care might look like advocating for a raise for yourself at work. Financial self-care might be starting to budget and track your expenses so that you are in better control of your money and you are not just allowing money to fly out the window or slip through your fingers because you're not aware of the subscriptions that you signed up for years ago that are still taking money out of your account or the incorrect charges or refunds that you were supposed to have received and you haven't. Trust me, it happens to all of us. And so financial self-care might just be going through your bank statements and seeing if there's anything that needs to be canceled or any money that you were expecting that hasn't entered into your account yet. Financial self-care might also be having conversations with someone who you share financial responsibilities with, your partner, and talking about how bills are going to be split or how bills are going to be paid or just overall goals for the family. How do you want to spend your money going forward? What are some expenses coming up? Because the truth is that many times these unspoken conversations lead to a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. And yes, they might be tough conversations to have, but setting up a time to do them and having a plan for how you're going to do them is a form of financial self-care that I highly, highly recommend. And the final type of self-care that I also want to offer is environmental self-care. And what this looks like is, for example, for me, I love simplicity. Simplicity is one of my core values. I like things to make sense. I like things to flow. I like having what I need and not having clutter or excess. And the truth of the matter is that even if you are someone who likes things, you like your stuff, if it's not organized or if there's too much clutter for the space that you have, if there's too much stuff for the space you have, it becomes clutter. And clutter has been proven to be stressful, to actually increase your cortisol levels. And so environmental self-care might look like decluttering. It might look like creating a home for everything in your house so that when you're looking for your keys, you know where to find them. When you're looking for your glasses, you know where to find them. When your kids are looking for their shoes, for their jackets, for their gloves, they know where to find them. And so creating an environment that is conducive to your way to life is a form of environmental self-care. This could even extend to the types of smells you want to have in your home. Do you want something warm, friendly, inviting? Do you want something vibrant? It also comes down to the colors you have in your home. It could be that you need to rearrange your furniture a little bit. It could be that you might need to change out the paintings or the pictures in your frames just to give your environment a bit of a refresh. And so, again, just a few examples of what you can do as far as environmental self-care, taking control of your environment in a way that it helps you feel better and it helps you live better. Okay, 
And so to summarize, I have given you examples of the different areas of your life where self-care is very important. So what I'd like you to do is just do some thinking and do some reflecting. The assessment that I give my patients actually gets them to rank and score themselves in these different domains and pick one area, one area that they would like to focus on. For one of my patients is taking her lunch break and actually taking a break during lunch as opposed to eating at her desk as quickly as possible and trying to get all her food down while she's working. Not just her, I have many people who have done that, but one by one, they're taking their breaks. They're taking their breaks. And so it could be, so, and that makes a difference. It could be re-registering for the exercise class that you canceled because you got too tired to go. It could be ordering a water bottle from Amazon that reminds you of how much water you need to take and how much water you've taken in through the day so far. The little things, like I said, leverage change, little things that you can do that can result in as big of change as possible. We're not talking about overhauling every single aspect of your life, but I've given you examples. Pick one and just work with that. Create a time intentionally for when you're going to focus on it and work with it. And as that becomes a habit, then you can add other areas of self-care. I hope this was helpful. I hope this demystifies self-care a little bit. If you have any questions about this, please don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram. I'm at dr.yewande, so that's dr.yewande. And I'm also active on LinkedIn. So if you look me up, Dr. Yewande Olamide, you'll be able to find me and I'll be happy to answer your questions about self-care. Until next time, remember I am here always fiercely advocating for your success and your happiness. Bye. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Yewande, on the Happy Without Medicine podcast this week. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you could give it a review on Apple Podcast because it helps Happy Without Medicine pop up when other women are searching for ways to find their happiness again. And visit happywithoutmedicine.com to view the complete show notes and other resources mentioned in today's episode. I'll catch you next time.